follow Jesus means you are willingly submitting to learning how to love a wider and wider spectrum of people in your life. That's what it means to follow Jesus. If you don't, if you don't want to allow that to happen, then following Jesus is not for you. Welcome back. We are here with episode number three of the Just Follow Jesus podcast. Thank you for tuning in and following along. This week's conversation builds on Ryan's sermon centering Mark chapter 2, verses 18 through 28, and we investigate a number of themes. We explore the implications of Jesus' radical inclusivity and how that challenges us to live faithfully amidst a fractured and pluralistic society. We talk about the value of non-controlling relationships, and we close our time by talking about the awakening power of fasting in a culture of consumption. It's an excellent conversation. And as always, if you've got questions or comments, or if you'd like to share a story about how God has been impacting or changing your life through this series, uh, through your engagement with our Jesus community, or through this podcast, then feel free to email us at jfjpod at northcoastcalvary.org. And we would love to hear from you. But for now, let's jump into this week's conversation. Ryan Pfeiffer. Ryan, what's your middle name? David. Ryan David. Yes. Oh, wow. Yes. Very messy. Very messianic of you. <laughs> <laughs> my dad's first name. Whoa. My middle name. My son's first name is David, actually. Dude, there's some and rich Diego. history. Diego's his middle name. Oh. Yeah. So David, three generations of David. Wow. So David is my father's name. David is also my brother's first name, but he goes often by Clark, which is his, his middle name. So strange. <laughs> Lots of Davids. Lots of Davids. Another episode of the Just Follow Jesus podcast, and we are diving into a little bit deeper. Mark chapter two, verses 18 through 28. So closing out chapter two, which I just want to congratulate you, Ryan, on Crossing this first little finish line and setting your own new personal best of yes, not one, four, not two, not three, but four, four weekends in a row. First time at North Coast Calvary Chapel at, ever. Dude. Well, we are thrilled to be setting records so early into the Ryan Pfeiffer area of servant leadership here at North Coast Calvary Chapel. Uh, okay, so there's kind of three movements to this podcast. First one is pastoral reflection in some capacity where we talk about what we are seeing God do in and amongst and through our community. Then we clarify, we dig a little bit deeper on the text that we had just covered the week and before. If there's particular points, we've named a couple that we'll explore a little bit more deeply. And then, I mean, this we're, we're workshopping this, right? It's called the nerd zone and nerd as of today is an acronym for new esoteric, ridiculous data. So this is where you, Ryan, you, you get to wave that nerd flag and talk about any of the deep uh, or weird or theological or literary stuff that didn't make it into the sermon that you are excited to talk about. So, okay. One thing to think about in that nerd zone, yeah. maybe consider a chance to talk about the son of man oh. title that Jesus keeps self-referencing. Dude, he does drop it. That's, is that the first time that he, second time, second time, but this chapter is the first time he self-references mm -hmm. the son of man. I, I haven't been able to dig into that. Dude. It keeps hitting the editing room floor. Okay. Well, son of man, we'll see you in the nerd zone. <laughs> um, hey, let's just talk to me really quick. After this weekend services, um, did you hear of or see yourself get reports of just a sense of how the Holy Spirit was moving in the church this week as we encountered scripture today? I, I, I've always loved how our church, when you preach, when one preaches there, and you've preached, you, I'm sure you felt it. You just feel like everyone's at the edge of their seat, just mm -hmm. ready to hear everything that God has to say to them in that moment. I just feel like it's even up another level of engagement, attentiveness, readiness for the move of the Holy Spirit. I feel the energy in the room mm. and it's exciting. It's so exciting. Uh, uh, a couple of standout things after this weekend thing I'm seeing is the way that people are using this series to leverage the opportunity going through the book, going through the series to invite people that are not yet followers of Jesus. Mm -hmm. So I've been throwing that out there a lot, especially when I did the whole message about being fishes of people. 
I'm just so encouraged by how people are actually doing it. Mm. Like out, not just hearing it, but going out and putting it into practice. Yeah. And every week people are letting me know, hey, I brought this friend, I brought this friend, I brought this friend. Or I'm finding out just by asking, hey, who's this person? Oh, it's someone I just brought that I invited. This last weekend, uh, one story that sends out to me is a young woman in her 20s um, who came to faith through another person at her church. So mm. now it's going to a, like a third, like a second oh, generation. Dude, come on. No, third generation. The first person came to faith at our church. She led a friend to faith. And now that friend is inviting her friends to church. And she texted me just telling me, hey, it was so cool. I invited my friend, not a believer, came to the morning service and just loved it. She just felt like everyone was so kind and welcoming, um, loved the music, and just really loved looking at Jesus like mm-hmm. that. And wants to come back and learn more about Jesus. I mean, because it does. <laughs> It doesn't get any better than that. Like not, oh, Ryan's so great, or oh my gosh, the church is so beautiful. Those are all fine and all, but I want to, I want to know more about Jesus. Yes, it was just for me. I'm just gonna ride. I'm riding high. Yeah, you know, that is so beautiful on so many levels, uh, particularly the multi generational effect, like you mentioned. You know friend who invited a friend who's now inviting friends yeah. and they're encountering Jesus and are curious about it, about him. Um, another, another thing that another story that we kind of talked about was um, that happened at the Sunday PM service of a family that came that was pretty mixed that had, I mean, we had people from other faiths. We had people who have totally walked away or are, are opposed to it. And the, the text itself and some of the unique things that you highlighted, whether it was Jesus, the partier, or, um, you know, this idea of sewing new cloth to old spoke directly to certain experiences in this family's life. And, um, you know, the gal who invited her family was deeply encouraged by that. But for, for me, in retrospect, one of the coolest things there is that we oftentimes, when we think about inviting people to church, we feel this sense of pressure, or at least yeah. I, I have, because it's it better a, not be weird. It better not be weird <laughs> or lame. Yeah. Or that it's somehow your responsibility to make sure that the people that you invite have a good experience. Now, I don't right. want to downplay. Obviously, we want we want to be good hosts. We want to practice hospitality yeah, in all sorts right. of ways and to do our best to make people feel comfortable. Um, but ultimately, the responsibility, the thing I take out of that story is that God's word faithfully preached is going to speak into people's lives. Uh, and that's, that's not on you. Like that's right. Jesus is your job is just to be the invitation to get them into the room and let him do the rest. And that report from our friend was just such a beautiful example of that. It's encouraging to hear. And because some, I'm always encouraged when people are spoken to by the Lord, by things that I just, you know, it's just not something I even plan to say. Mm-hmm. And it's just always a reminder, like, what God's doing. And those, those are examples you just gave where it was illustrations I just used or mm-hmm. a, an emphasis on an, a moment in the passage that really connected with people. We, I pray before the services. I pray that God, I pray for words of knowledge. I pray for people to hear the, his voice speaking to them. And it's amazing when you see those moments where it really happens like that. And so that, I, th- I know who you're talking about mm-hmm. and those Family members are not believers. Yeah. And I, I think you already, maybe you said that. And I said, yeah, this wasn't weird at all. I loved, <laughs> I loved, wow, le- a lot less cultish than I thought. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Means we're doing something right. Yeah. The only other thing I would just share is I've been talking about the book and I'm so grateful how the book is being used by God. It was, I had a father come up to me this Sunday and tell me how, him and his kids, it's for the first time in their family history, they are all studying scripture together. Mm. After service, they read it together. They talk about it together. And um, they're literally on the same page. That's right. Because children's children's and high school. Yeah. The student ministries, all yeah, of them. And all the students. Yeah. The children's ministries are, on the, are doing it too. Which is amazing. Yeah. And that was something that those ministries chose to do on their own. Like, I mean, I, there wasn't, yeah. that wasn't enforced from the top down. It was not. It's yeah. like, we're doing it too. We're doing it. I'm like, oh my gosh, we're all going to do this. That's so rad. I don't think we could have made that happen if we tried. I don't think so either. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, really cool to just take a minute and to reflect in gratitude on what we're hearing and seeing 
God do amongst the people. Um, hey, let's move into clarifying or digging deeper, some of the implications, some of the application. Um, a couple of things that I w- want to ask you to expound on a little bit more. The first one is the idea of newness. This The image of new wine, obviously, is pr- like pretty prominent in the passage, and we spend a fair amount of time there. They don't pour new wine into old wineskins. And um, one of the things that you highlighted out of this theme of newness is God's threatening inclusivity or his radical in- inclusivity. So that uh, that's a, a beautiful term. It's a complex term. It's also an idea that can be a little bit controversial in certain ways. So I just wanted to slow down and to dig deeper into this idea of God's inclusivity. And if like, what do you think of when you are using that term? Unpack it for us a little bit. One, it goes back to the theme of the fisher of people. Mm-hmm. And it goes back to the prophecies that it's, Jesus would be a light to the Gentiles. And so in this passage right now, we're just, it's just amazing to see the way that Jesus is opening the door to people who are just so seemingly unacceptable mm. to everybody else to be with God. And to see people who are not yet believers, who are out there living lives that are so irreverent. In encountering Jesus, they're attracted to him, they're drawn to him. And given an opportunity to repent, to change their perspective because of that encounter. And what I love about it is, one, I love how our church is taking that on. I think that's always been true about our church, but it's like I, our church, I feel like, is finding another gear of living living into that. So there's the story I just shared at the very beginning. And I'm, like I said, I'm hearing so many stories of people just taking risks, mm. saying, hey, um, we're going through this series studying Jesus. Uh I bought you a book mm-hmm. and would you want to join us? That's a pretty big commitment to make in your invite to somebody. <laughs> and maybe, and I think it's not, and I don't know if I wouldn't say that's heavy handed. I think that's really gracious, loving way to invite somebody, mm. but to communicate, I really would love you to come. Yeah. And um, I, I've just loved seeing people stepping into it. And then I think secondly, we see Jesus opening the door to people like the tax collectors, the sinners, the broken and the downtrodden. And we can see here the beginning of a mindset that's going to build momentum within the, within the disciples. That's going to prepare them to do what was even more radical for them, which mm-hmm. was to open the door to make a way for Gentiles to know Jesus. Mm-hmm. Now, that was even crazier, but they couldn't handle that yet. So Jesus started with shocking them at this level before he really blew their minds mm-hmm. with opening the way to the Gentiles which then shows us that this inclusivity of God is extended towards uh, people of different races, ethnicities, cultural backgrounds, nationalities. And it really shows us a distinctive aspect of Christianity amongst all the other religions of the time, Mm. that it was a religion that was not marked by um, being a member of a particular tribe or ethnic group, but it was pan-ethnic. And that was absolutely unique. It was an oddity on the world religious scene that people of all these different ethnic groups were a part of this religious movement. Uh, It made it unique and Mm -hmm. it should continue to make it unique and stand out in our day and age that needs that message of inclusivity now more than ever. Mm -hmm. And we know that through the, um, the, uh, through that, that there's a filter in that inclusivity and that filter is repentance. Mm. Everybody, no matter where we're coming from, together is being shaped around Jesus and his gospel. It's not come in with whatever you have and do whatever you want. It's come in with whoever you are and whatever you got. Come as you are, but allow Jesus to shape you into a new person. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that resonates really well with a, a line that I loved that you said. I don't think I'd heard it put this way, but that... God's, the gospel, good news, the good news and the new thing that God wants to do in your life uh, is a threat to uh, the old. So just frankly, if you're not interested in changing, if you are happy with the status quo of your life, well, then the, like, God's not going to force himself on you. Um, And if you hear the gospel that there's probably going to be relatively little change because you're unwilling to be open to the possibility that there might be more. And I think that's just such a beautiful way of uh, really simply laying out the invitation and the consequence of following Christ. 
but I want to I want to linger yeah, a yes. little. Can I interject yeah, on that? Yes, to follow Jesus means you are willingly submitting to in to learning how to love a wider and wider spectrum of people in mm. your life. That's what it means to follow Jesus. If you don't if you don't want to allow that to happen, then following Jesus is not for you. Mm. But you can be guaranteed that that's what's going to happen. So Ryan, in a in a cultural moment in our country and in the West more broadly, that where we're seeing increasing levels of polarization. So that means decreasing levels of inclusivity and unity. I mean, perhaps more than ever, it's whether the real levels of um, disintegration are actually higher than they have been historically, but it's something that we're, everybody's aware of and talking about. And particularly in the difference between, you know, faith, the, like the, the quote unquote faithful and the secular spheres. Um, I'd love it if you could try and ground it for us or even maybe name, give some examples of Hey, as we're moving in our day-to-day life, what does it look like to model the inclusivity uh, that we see Christ exemplifying here in Mark? Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, number one, the, the, you can look at the Pharisees as, an, as, unfortunately, an example of what not to do. They present an embattled posture towards secular culture. For them, they didn't use the term secular. They used the term Hellenized. Mm-hmm. And they were very much threatened by the influence of Greek culture on their culture because their culture was pluralistic and pagan. So the Pharisees were reacting to that Hellenization, and they had an embattled, aggressive sort of, we have got to protect ourselves. And you can see it really come out here, and it makes them very exclusive. Mm -hmm. They are... Operating out of, and I think that embattled posture, it, it opens the door to being anxious and insecure. Mm-hmm. And I think it foments insecurity and anxiety in us and fear. And uh, that opens the door to the enemy. Mm-hmm. That opens the door to Satan. That is Satan. When we go there, we are on his playground. When you look at Jesus, uh, here's a guy who is like, in some language, in Edwin Friedman, the writer of Failure of Nerve, calls it a differentiated leader. He mm-hmm. had the ability to be stand with conviction on his own values and principles and yet remain engaged and connected to people who were really different than him. Yeah. And he didn't, you don't get the sense with Jesus that he was threatened by that difference. Yes. He, and you don't see Jesus capitulating his holiness, his, his difference. He's not giving up his difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, to me, is a demonstration that, that's attractive. I think people are really attracted to that kind of stability and groundedness, confidence, and peace. Mm-hmm. I think we're, we're embattled, and we're coming at culture embattled, and that's what the political climate wants to do. It mm-hmm. needs to polarize us so we pick their camp and realize the other camp is so bad, you've got to pick theirs. You have mm-hmm. no other choice. Yep. And they use fear. The problem with biting that bait is, is it right there at the very starting point when fear is the the entry point into a posture that we have. Mm-hmm. I'm afraid of how they're going to influence my kids and their education. I'm afraid of what's going to happen with Christian rights and Christian freedom. And when we make when we give into that, it's not putting your hand in the, head in the sand pretending it doesn't exist, but when you just allow that fear to drive your perspective. You will become embattled. You become aggressive. You do become an, an anxious presence in culture. Mm-hmm. And that is the opposite of Jesus, who just, just has this calmness, this composure, and yet this solidity, this stability, strength that is magnetic, it's radiant, mm. and it is holiness at its best. Mm-hmm. And yet it's ironic because the, the Pharisees, their name comes from a word that means the separate ones. They were all about, we need to be different and set apart. And yet their idea of holiness ended up actually making them more like their culture than unlike their culture. Mm, that's good right there. They were more like their culture in that they had become an embattled tribe defending their position. Mm-hmm. That was all over the place. Rome was doing that against the barbarians. I mean, the Essenes were doing it. The Sadducees were doing it. Everybody was doing that. Yeah. That was just playing to the world's tribal posturing. Mm-hmm. And Jesus comes in and he's like, not even on the radar. Mm-hmm. Like, where do you get that kind of confidence, Jesus? 
And he filled his disciples with that kind of confidence. So that, that you're, I'll pay you later. You perfectly teed up my next question, which is uh, you begin to, and at the outset of Mark, we're starting to get introduced to this concept of the kingdom of God and kingdom language, quote unquote, that's something that if you've been in and around the church for very long, you, you'll start hearing more and more. Um, and in some ways it can be, so sometimes I hear that sort of language used in a way that perpetuates that, that sort of combative binary, um, in an unhelpful ways. But, uh, oftentimes I, I, I hear it used in ways that are really helpful because it, it demonstrates for me or it puts flesh on the bones of what does it look like? What does the coming kingdom of God, what does the now, but not yet kingdom of God look like? What does it mean for us, Ryan, you and me and our Jesus community here in North County, San Diego to be people who are demonstrating what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God. So could you talk to me more, unpack that a little bit for us? Yeah. Would it be helpful just to be clear about what the kingdom of God means? Yes, it would be helpful. So first, a good example of it, I mean, we've been talking about in Mark what it looks like. What does the kingdom of God look like? And that's what Mark wants us to do. Pretty soon we'll get to the parables where Jesus comes at it from a different tack, not just through demonstration, but through illustration. However, I would love to go to Matthew. In Matthew, in Jesus's prayer, our Father who art in heaven, how will be thy name? Now watch, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So kingdom and God's will here are synonymous. Hmm. And so what is the kingdom of God? It is the will of God being done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's what we see happening through Jesus's life and ministry. So if we were curious, what does that look like? We're just going to sit on clouds and just be singing songs. Uh, Hopefully, because that would be amazing to be in God's glory, worshiping him. But uh, practically in our context, what does it look like for God's will to be done on earth? It looks like healing. Sickness has to leave. Evil has to leave. Sin has to leave. And human prejudices have to leave. All the divisive forces that separate us from God, from one another, and from ourselves, and from fruitfully participating in God's good creation, those all have to flee. Mm -hmm. All those things. And so Jesus is demonstrating all that. So that's the kingdom of God. It is God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven. Mark's shown us what that looks like. That's one way of articulating it. And so... I think when we look, we get confused about what God's will is, and we can easily reduce it to our own will, which is what the Pharisees are doing. They've reduced God's will to their will. Mm -hmm. Surely God intends fasting to be done the way we do it, because we are the separate ones. We are the most hardcore. No one's more hardcore than us. This Jesus guy, that guy's out partying. That guy cannot be more hardcore than us. (laughs) And so they are convinced that they're 39 um, sort of precepts on how to effectively not work on the Sabbath, they feel like they've got it down. And so that is always a danger for us as human beings to assume God's will is our will. That's why it's so important to go to the scripture and look at what it looks like. And when you look at the scripture and you see Jesus's inclusivity, that he is welcoming people that are so far outside of what we would be comfortable with, we have to constantly ask ourselves, who are those people here today? And every generation struggles with that. And like I gave an example, the hippies. And so when Calvary Chapel welcomed the hippies, how do you welcome them? Well, you don't make them change and get showered and cut their hair before they come into service. You accept them as they are. Mm-hmm. Now, people have a hard time with that. Because if we accept them as they are, then it feels like we're communicating that we approve and they don't need to do anything different to stay as you are. And it's like, no, dude, you come into the kingdom and as they meet Jesus, they are going to be inspired by Jesus to want to repent and is, mm-hmm. so that they can get as close to him as possible. And I think that's a completely different motivating agent than I want to fit in with your club. I yes. want to fit in with your community. So Mark talks about examples of that, Mark Foreman. Oh, you don't read the same Bible that we do. You don't have, you have the the revised, well, he was using the revised standard version. I can't mm-hmm. remember what they jokingly called it because they read the King James. Right there's an example of people um, trying to get someone to change in the end, just so that that person fits in with their, their comfort zone. Mm-hmm. And that's not attractive. That's not magnetic. And that's not transformational. It's just behavior modification. But when you let people come in as they are, and they you let them encounter Jesus and you let them realize, just come as you are, dude, you're accepted and loved as you are. Mm-hmm. Then real transformation can happen. And the hard part for the church 
is being able to accept people where they're at yeah, and let them in. But that is political persuasion. And I think that gets difficult when it gets into like interpersonal interactions and becoming a listener and not a debater. Mm-hmm. So I'll just stop right here and just say one thing. I always apply my favorite adage on how do you practice inclusivity in interpersonal relationship is remember, nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Mm. So don't go out there and try to convert people to your view or ideologies. Go out and listen and become a learner because that's becoming like Jesus. Mm. Jesus is a lover of people and he was an incredible student of people. And we need to go out there and be better students of our friends, our family, learn what they really believe and look for the Holy Spirit opportunities where God's going to show up in their lives versus assuming that people need to convert to our way of thinking. Mm-hmm. And there's a beautiful way of, of describing one of our core values here at the church, which is non-controlling or adult to adult relationships. That's a great. And reference. you, I, I, it's one of the most helpful kind of guiding things for me to think about that, that has shaped how I view all sorts of situations and relationships. It's like, Hey, it's, it's not my job to control this person's spiritual journey. It's not my job to control the outcome, you know, of a particular train of thought or belief system, you know, that I, it's not my job to get them onto my side. It's my job to, um, be show up with the love of Christ filled with the spirit. Um, and to love them as best as I am able and to trust the fact that, Hey, um, if we have conversations around truth, well, we worship a God that is the spirit of truth, right? He's the God of all truth. And so therefore like it's the spirit's job more than it is mine to lead somebody to an understanding of the truth. Now, one thing about truth, I could just throw in there. I love what you're saying. Non-controlling relationships. One thing to think about, we have to talk about truth. It's just, we have to talk about truth at the level of trust that's been earned with that person. Oh, come on. If we haven't earned trust with them, I think sometimes we assume we have the right to speak truth without that trust. Some people do err on the side of they've, they've earned all this trust and they're not allowing it to be the foundation for a good, truthful conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, other people are just too quick to dump truth without regard to what builds trust. And what is what builds trust from Jesus's actions? Well, Jesus teaches us spending time with people. Yeah. Having meals with people and being with them. I mean, that, have a dinner with people, mm-hmm. invite people. So this is one thing we would teach students before you invite a friend to one of our gatherings where they're going to hear preaching, invite them out to a lunch or a coffee or a study session with your other Christian friends. You know, the adage was barbecue first, like invite friends to be around other believers in a non specific religious environment. They go, Whoa, Christians are not weird. Like what that guy said, you know, remember that woman who invited her family to come and Mm -hmm. he goes, well, it wasn't weird. People need to have those experiences with Christians outside of church. Mm -hmm. Then people are more open to learning what we have to say. Yeah. You know, you use some of the language to define the Pharisees. It's that they had a fundamentally combative posture towards culture. So that's uh, combativeness, or I think Mark often had, Mark Foreman often used the term uh, darn right. You know, they were darn right Christians. Pharisees were pretty darn right people. And the, the positive counterpoint, because I'm at this stage of my life, I'm, I'm really always looking for, hey, um, what is the positive thing that I can be drawn towards or that I can I can strive for instead of the sin management or the behavior modification, like the negative thing? You know, yeah, yeah. Um, it's, a, of course, an, important to define uh, negative you know, things, but the spiritual positive characteristic or trait that comes to mind for me is curiosity is a lot of what I hear you saying to be a good listener. Um, and to be a non-controlling person is to be a curious person, which necessarily means that you are humble. And that's one of the characteristics of the kingdom of God that Jesus ushers in that you identified this last weekend. Humility is one of them. And Jesus comes to us. He is, he's humble. Freedom is one of them. A new life was one of them. I'm sure there were some other ones that you identified as hallmarks of the kingdom of God, but. Oh, that's, those are so good, dude. Those are so good. I love those, those examples. And I love the humility. I think curiosity is a great word to hang your hat on. Because then I think you can say, you can ask your friend questions and learn about them. And then God's going to show you where they actually need help with a different perspective. And we can 
humbly graciously say something like, hey, you know, last week we were talking and asked you this, and you shared about this, about your experience with religion. Um, hey, would you mind if I just share with you a thought I had about what you shared? Hmm. You were sharing like you're discouraged by all the hypocrisy. And um, do you think hypocrisy is limited to people who are religious? And I had this conversation with somebody. I just, I put it back as a question. Mm-hmm. It was great. They go, they had to go, well, actually, you're right. No, I don't think it's limited to religious people. Yeah, it's kind of something we all struggle with. And I think what we, what's interesting is that you're acknowledging that there's something should be different about Christians and that they shouldn't be hypocritical. Mm-hmm. You have like an implicit expectation. I wonder where that came from. It just opened up a whole different conversation with this person I couldn't have had with them because if I hadn't been curious, listening, hearing where they're coming from. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't like uh, this direct combative. It was curious because the truth is I'm not threatened by their doubts or their questions or disagreements. And I don't think Jesus was threatened mm-hmm. by the Romans, even though they killed him. I don't think he was threatened by them or by the Pharisees. I just don't think he was threatened. Yeah. And I think if we're threatened by culture, I think we need to be very careful because even though we have the right intentions, I don't think any good can come from it. I don't think that means we're ignorant to the, to, um, to the lack of truth or the lies that are in culture. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think that means we need to be threatened by them. Even if we don't agree, we know that there's untruth there. So in a, in an age where the, the spirit of the age is one of, cynicism or of division let's be people of curiosity people of humility um i and let's be people who fast that's that's the one other thing that i wanted <laughs> i wanted us to talk about um because part of you're describing a pretty countercultural sort of person the, a person who is not threatened by somebody of different opinion or conviction um but regardless of of uh, ethnic identity, regardless of political affiliation, regardless of, you know, religious adherence, um, we can move towards them as a non-anxious presence, as a curious, compassionate, loving person. Um, and another way that we can be pretty countercultural, especially in the West, is this idea of fasting that it gets introduced here in this in this text. And you started to touch on briefly. So I just could we spend a few minutes reflecting a little bit more deeply on Hey, Ryan, what's your experience uh, with fasting looked like? Have you found it to be a helpful or a fruitful spiritual discipline? You, you know, you, in the sermon, you kind of quickly defined for us the fact that fasting appears in scripture, I think 77 times, if I remember correctly, and um, more so in the Old Testament than the New Testament. And there's a big distinction between the spirit of fasting that is, we see in the Old Testament and that we see in the New Testament. So could you just reflect on fasting a little bit? Yeah, and uh, I think that fasting is a way of awakening our sensitivity and spiritual hunger to God's presence and will in our life. I, I love fasting because the hunger becomes, the physical experience of hunger becomes a constant reminder that I hunger for God more than food. I, that's, what, that's what I tell myself. Like whenever I feel the hunger, I just pray a simple prayer. Lord, I hunger for you more than I hunger for that burrito. Lord, I hunger for you more than that In-N-Out burger. Lord, I hunger for you more than that uh, pokey salad. And um, there's actually something really powerful about it. It does create physical room in your schedule to not go make food or go eat food and to go off and pray. But it's actually the tension in my body that I feel from hunger that uh, keeps me, as it were, tethered, fixed, locked, like a leash on me, tethered to a particular area of prayer. And I use fasting when I am seeking to stir my faith up. Mm. It's like throwing a lighter fluid on the fire of my faith. And it's like, think about this. When you eat a big lunch meal, how do you feel right after that big lunch meal? Siesta time. It's siesta time, and you get that kind of food coma. I think that can happen true spiritually for us. I think that being overly comfortable in our lives can breed spiritual complacency. Not because we're doing anything bad. It's just that we forget we're in an environment that is constantly dampening our spiritual fervency. Mm. And so fasting is a way of like kind of throwing cold water on us, waking us up. 
And um, I, I love to use fasting when I need spiritual intensity renewed in my life. I love to use fasting when I sense, um, um, when I want to renew a sense of spiritual power in an area of my life. Yeah, power. When I, I need a fresh feeling of the Holy Spirit's power in preaching, in ministry, in praying for someone's healing, I fast for breakthrough in prayers. And thirdly, when I'm in discernment. I've fasted, and I've shared this. I don't mind sharing openly because I want my wife to just, I want to use my wife as a teacher, as an example. So I've fasted uh, 40 days. I've done the juice fast for 40 days. Um, I love those. I love the long ones, to be honest, the most. Those are just the ones that just uh, do the most work in me. But I also do little fasts um, for 24 hours. I do little 48-hour fasts. And um, I don't have a methodical, systematic way of using them. I kind of use them as I feel like a need based on the criteria I already gave, mm -hmm. already enumerated. Um, but I fasted like before the installation of this whole process. Um, right before, the week before I was installed, I fasted. I just wanted that the weakness that you feel in hunger. I just wanted it to reemphasize to me that my dependence is on God, not mm -hmm. in my own strength. And I'll tell you, I did it felt it. You know, I really felt it. Um, and Jesus does say in the parable or in that in the parable, but in that little bridegroom story, yeah. Illustration that when the bridegroom is taken, people will fast and fasting is seen through acts. We see the disciples fasting and praying that results in hearing from the Holy spirit to send Paul and Barnabas out on their, the first missionary journey. Mm -hmm. Fasting and prayers had a huge pivotal role all throughout church history and continues to do it. Mm -hmm. And we should do it. And I think we can find ways to fast that are for no matter what your physical health condition is, you could fast a meal. You might do a fasting of a particular type of food that still allows you to have caloric intake. So for example, you could fast carbs, but still have food. Mm -hmm. You could fast and just do greens and you're still getting calories, but you're maybe not being satiated the same way, mm -hmm. but you're not going to pass out and die. Yeah. Um, if you really have a, you can't find a food thing to do. Uh, you can always fast like other fasts. There's like media fasts. I'm going to fast from television this week. I'm going to fast from social media. Um, I had a friend do that. It was really addicted to social media, fasted all through Lent, no social media at all. It was way harder for that person to do that than it was to fast food. <laughs> I'm telling you, it was incredible. So those are other ways of doing it. So that's actually a good question. Um, I was going to ask you, because up until that point, you'd exclusively been using the term fasting as related to food and which is very scriptural of you because that's the only way that we see it applied in the new Testament. Um, but it's become increasingly popular. Oh yeah. I'm fasting from social media or I'm fasting from X, Y, Z. Do you think there's a difference between fasting and abstinence? Because part of me goes, well, that's just, okay. It's, is it healthy? Especially if we identify um, a behavior or a substance or whatever that we can feel is starting to grow, get its claws in us. We're becoming dependent upon it. We're using it in inappropriate ways to go through a season of like abstaining from that to, you know, sever that attachment in some capacity. Is that different than fasting? Um, is fasting yeah, you're right. You're citing that there's two categories of fasting. There's, there's the abstinence based fasting, which is things that you're going to, and there are, I'm sorry, abstinence based, uh, spiritual disciplines. Mm hmm where you're cutting something out that is normally a healthy, good thing in your life. Make room for God. Um, and it could be, it could be, it, the Bible talks about abs, abstaining from sex for a time for prayer, for example. But uh, yeah, and I think they all have their place. Uh, yes, I think they all can be powerful. I've seen them all work. Uh, however, I would just caution to not um, go too far and say there's no place for food fasting. And I would encourage anybody that it, it, to who has dietary concerns to ask the Lord, is there a way for me to just something about the, you know, the food and drink that we need for our bodies. That is very powerful. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I'm in an alcohol fast right now because um, praying for revival mm. and I've been in an alcohol fast for a long time because doing those long fasts was hard on my family. Um, there's something about the drink and food fasts that are so hard and you can find ways to do these fasts that, um, even if you do it all fast, I'm not going to eat any food just for a meal mm -hmm. you might feel that one or for a meal or two. Now everyone's like, people are getting into like the intermittent fasting. 
And I've seen yeah. people who told me I could never fast and they're doing intermittent fasting. And yeah. I'm like, Oh, I guess you can do it. In, yeah. I guess you can do a little fasting. The interesting thing about that, the intermittent fasting fad that is happening is that that's being driven by the health, wellness and fitness community yes. more than it is by, I mean, spiritual it's by the spiritual yeah. Yeah, practitioners, which is still people are experiencing the positive benefits of it. Um, so what is really quick? And then we can, we'll move on to kind of our last, um, last topic of conversation for today's episode. Uh, motivation and fasting. I mean, so the intermittent fasting fad is one that's driven from my perspective as I've observed it culturally and in community and like the people that I know that are practicing that for a large part, they're a one of, I'd say kind of fit into two basic categories. One is that they're, they're fitness people, you know? And, um, so for them, it's, it's, it's performance related and it's image management related related. And then the other people are people who have health concerns and they're trying to get healthier. And so they're, they're trying to learn a new way of, of eating and relating to food. Um, so does their intention matter in the fast? It does matter. Absolutely. And I think uh, it's about dedicating that space of time, that tension that you're going to carry in your body to God. And I think uh, in, in doing that, I think that it's directing your will and your attention to God. Mm-hmm. And that's where we, what all the spiritual disciplines are about. They're about directing our focus to God. They're ways of commandeering our attention to be directed to God. And, and that's really what God needs is our attention. Mm. He doesn't need us not, he doesn't need us not eating and hungry. He needs our attention, mm-hmm. he needs our awareness, he needs our focus. And that's, biggest gift that uh those spiritual disciplines like fasting have and so yeah it does matter if you're going into it and your primary goal is i just want to lose some weight well i don't i think that's going to muddle the waters muddy the waters for us Mm. and i think we should go into it um not focused on what we're uh, primarily on the benefits to our health although we should know that there's different kinds of fasting we can look into that have health benefits so don't be afraid of it Mm mm-hmm actually could help us in our health. could acknowledge it, give a nod to it, but don't make that the focus. And I think the way you do that is by um, identify your prayer. What is the thesis of your prayer? What do you want to bring to God? God, I just want more passion for you. Hmm. God, I want to see a breakthrough in my prayers for my neighbor who doesn't know you, or my brother, my sister who doesn't know you, my dad who doesn't believe in you. Lord, I want to see, I want to, I want to, God, I'm just asking for a greater hunger for your word. When I read the Bible, I'm just bored with it. I just don't find anything engaging me. I'm going to fast because I want to hunger for your word more than food because man does not live on bread alone. It'll be mm-hmm. word that comes from the mouth of God. I've used fasting in all these ways, by the way. And it, it just, it just, man, God is so faithful because he sees that willingness to be humbled, mm. to humble ourselves. When he sees his children coming after him like that, I just, it makes it, he can't resist us. It's like, you're coming at him doughy-eyed and God's like, ah, I love you. (laughs) It's not earning his love. It's not really changing God's mind. It is ultimately allowing your heart to be in a posture to receive what God wants to give. Mm -hmm. And God's blessing and favor requires a conduit. And that, that conduit is faith. And faith is activated through these places of humility in our life, these moments of mm-hmm. where we feel our need for God. And it's not that fasting makes God go, oh, now I love you more. So I'm kind of playfully playing around with that image, but it really does open our hearts to him. Mm. I had two other thoughts or a question come up about fasting. Um New Testament fasting is supposed to be the fasting that Jesus invites us to. You mentioned earlier that he says, you know, in response to the the disciples of the Pharisees and the disciples of John the Baptist that, uh, hey, why are my disciples not fasting? Because the bridegroom is here. Why would they fast now? And you address that in your sermon. Um, but there'll be a time when he's gone and then it's kind of appropriate. Or there's this expectation that fasting is a part of, of spiritual disciplines. Um, but... New Testament or uniquely Christian fasting is to be marked by 
joy, not the, you know, sackcloth and ashes yeah. and, and not the mandated fast that were a part of uh, Jewish practice and life. Um, so our fast should be joyful. It's a great point. You know, it shouldn't be one of these things where we are. Constantly- yeah, in Matthew, he says, yeah. don't walk around looking all dour and yeah. sour face like these guys. What do you do? Oh man, well, I'm just fasting right now. And it's just suffering. suffering. Suffering for God. Yeah. Um, I kind of, I think it, for me, I, I often think of fasting similarly to how we're exhorted to pray in, in private as well. You know, it's, it's a little bit of one of those, Hey, um, yeah, like don't draw attention to it. There's no need to. Um, and there's actually peril in, in certain ways. Like when you're actively doing it, I'm, I'm not coming down on you for how you sharing with us, your, your different experiences about yeah. fasting. I appreciate that. Uh, it's fun to get to know you better. Um, but also just to see some of those tangible places and you're kind of reporting to us, Hey, I've seen it. I've seen it work. I've seen it stoke the fires of, of spiritual passion. I've seen it facilitate breakthrough. I've seen it, um, and experienced God drawing near to me and giving me, you know, good things in, in the midst of it. But, um, so that was just a, a general thought about fasting being a, a joyful thing. Um, a question for you. Most of the, once again, I'm listening to you talk and almost all love the ways that you've talked about fasting. What's undergird that has been the assumption that it's an individual practice. So you're the leader of our spiritual community. What about communal fast? Is that something you, you would ever consider inviting the church into? Is there a you place know, for that? There is. And I got to think about it. I just need a little bit more time with our community to facilitate that. But mm-hmm. I, we did do that in my previous job with InterVarsity. I led our whole, entire staff in San Diego, which is about 30 people, into a fast for a breakthrough in our fundraising. Uh, we, we did a Southern California-wide fast in our our, our Southern California leadership team led all of our staff, over 150 people, into a fast. And then recently, Navarro did a national fast. So you're right. Um, and I've encouraged individual or groups of people to do it. Like I, I encouraged a group of four young women, college students from UCLA, to fast for a friend who'd been coming to Bible study but just was not, was kind of stuck spiritually, mm-hmm. making that final step to Jesus and faith. But as they fasted for a week, they saw their friend come to faith together. Um, but I think I need a little bit more time with our community to make sure that's facilitated well. Mm-hmm. And um, so that people don't feel like left out and feel like uh, this is some kind of spiritual meritocracy contest. And I want them to get to know me more so they trust me. But yeah, it would be wonderful to fast together. And that is something I thought about and um, looking forward to. Cool. It's way more fun to fast with others than alone. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, we're, we're designed to be in community. Yes. You know? um, and yes. you know, what is the whole purpose it's of this? to be hungry with other people and not is. eating a burrito in front of you making you want. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thank God. We are all fasting on this lunch. That's so convenient. <laughs> Uh, except for you, Tom. Yeah, uh, you enjoying that yeah. <laughs> that cookie? <laughs> um, well, hey, you know, we there was one other topic we had kind of considered talking about and diving into in the quote unquote nerd zone. We actually, in reflecting on our conversation, man, we kind of we we went there a number of different times. A lot of nerdiness came out in this conversation already, and we could talk about the Son of Man, but I don't know how much time. We yeah, have. I'm thinking let's save the Son of Man. I mean, the Son of Man shows up later. <laughs> yeah, it does. It's going to come up 14 times in Mark's gospel. Yeah. So we'll have opportunities to talk about and dig into the son of man and the uniqueness of that, of that name of Christ and its significance. And, uh, you know, Sabbath was obviously a big focus of this particular passage and it maps onto the fasting, you know, it's fasting conversation in, in pretty easy and obvious ways, but I'm also you know, I'm looking at it and we're close to about an hour of conversation right now. And so I'll leave it up to you. Do you feel like uh, diving into the Sabbath in, in any sort of way, or should we save that? And, you know, for another conversation, uh, it's going to come up in next week's passage. Yeah. I don't know how much Nick will be able to go into it. It's hard because, um, 
I felt that di- there was more dynam- dynamism in the way Jesus responded to the fasting, is particularly on the new wine and new wine skin. I just love that image. Mm-hmm. But if you had to ask me, what was the real, what was the, oh, what did the Pharisees really hate the most about Jesus? They hated the way he handled the uh, Sabbaths. Yeah. It really probably, way more than fasting or any other thing, was what bothered them, was the way he ran roughshod over their Sabbath practices. Well, because in Jewish life and practice, there's two predominant markers that you are a Jew, circumcision and observance of the Sabbath. Sabbath, that's right. Yeah. And so it uh, was a real marker for them of a faithful Jew. So it kills me. I didn't even get to this last weekend, but I was like, oh, wow. Ah." Um, (laughs) But Sabbath is so good. Gosh, it's hard. But, you know, I don't know, man. It's so good for us to understand the Sabbath. Sabbath is my, well, is my absolute favorite. Not my favorite, but it's one of my top three favorite spiritual practices. Mm-hmm. I love practicing Sabbath, and I think that one, even more than fasting, is underutilized and most countercultural uh, for us. So we can come back to it another time. Yeah, that's a little a little teaser. You know, yeah. we'll tune in next week or the week after at some point down the line. And we'll, uh, we'll do a little bit of a deep dive in into Sabbath. We kind of, we spent a lot of time in fasting kingdom of God, God's threatening inclusivity and just a sense of uh, some of what we've seen God do in and through the church this last weekend. So yeah, we'll save Sabbath for the future um, and maybe dig into why it's, you know, why it's so important. It's embedded in the order of creation, you know, beginning in Genesis and how, um, if anything, if we can become a, a people of the Sabbath in a uniquely Christian and in a uniquely, you know, present moment sort of way, that that will uh, be a pretty big witness to those around us. Great. <laughs> Love it. All right. Any, fi- any final word? No pressure. Doesn't, you know. Jesus is an absolutely riveting and fascinating person to watch, look at any. Mm. And uh, it's only going to get more riveting as we go into this uh, gospel. As we approach chapter 8, it's all building towards a climactic moment. uh, Around the question of who is this person? And uh, I'm excited to begin to pick up that thread in the coming weeks. So that we can participate in that tension building. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's already told us who he is. He is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. He is Christ. That's his first line thesis of the whole gospel. No other gospel does that. Boom. Tells us. And but then he kind of walks into the story to show us the the truth of what he has claimed. And he brings us into the story so that we can, with fresh hearts, with faith, say. excited for that but we're we're going there as am i well ryan thanks looking forward to our next conversation next week yeah see you then thanks for joining us for this week's episode of the just follow jesus podcast for more information about the series or our church you can visit northcoastcalvarychapel.org we also still have some copies of a special coffee table quality journal that we designed and put together to accompany this series in the Gospel of Mark. This whole podcast is a resource of North Coast Calvary Chapel. It's produced and directed by Joseph Carlson. The editing has been done by Nate King, and the music is by the one and only Brian McMaster. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.